0: embedded in the traditional internet is um the payment protocol or 402 now that we have bitcoin as an asset does bitcoin and other things like that allow that bridge for new
1: namespaces, the dot coms to use that 402 i think it goes the other way i think they the the legacy space and the new naming all uses the stuff over on the decentralized side like lightning right but it
0: makes that allowed to be able to embed
1: into websites Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to have, you know, micropayments will finally be a thing. You know, when I got back from Miami, I was so excited about Lightning. It was really visceral of we have to be involved in Lightning.
0: The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinion of Arcos Global Advisors or its advisors. The mention of different asset types or securities do not constitute a recommendation for our clients. If you have any questions about the content of this podcast, please contact your advisor. In this episode of Navigating Bitcoin's Noise, I'm joined by Mark Jeftovic, CEO of EasyDNS. In our discussion, we cover the similarities between the early days of domains and hosting and how that intersects with the evolving Bitcoin network and broader cryptocurrency ecosystem. Mark also shared what it's like to be an early adopter of holding sound money on the balance sheet, decentralized domains, his newsletter, The Crypto Capitalist, and the budding interest in Bitcoin infrastructure as a way to bring back productivity into local economies. If you're looking to better understand Bitcoin's past and its future potential as an economic network, then join us and listen in. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining today. I have with me Mark Jeffcovic. He is... The CEO of EasyDNS, uh, also writes a crypto capitalist newsletter, and today we're going to hear a little bit about you know, how he got into the space, what he does with his legacy business, and then also uh, what he thinks and what he's looking for in the future of, of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. Mark, could you just let everybody know a little bit more about
1: you and kind of we'll get rolling from there. Hi Kane, thanks for having me on. So, yeah, I run I co-founded easydns.com back in 98 with a couple of partners and we were uh, like a pure play DNS provider in the late 90s. This was before even ICANN was a thing, so we were still registering .com domains by sending email templates to network solutions and and then, you know, we became a registrar ourselves, and and so we always specialized in naming and DNS and dynamic DNS and that sort of thing. And then uh, we added web hosting, uh, you know, in the mid aughts. And then most recently, and email as well. And then now we're doing VPS hosting, and we got involved in crypto in 2013 we just became the first domain registrar to accept it as a payment method and and uh you know i fell in love with bitcoin from the word go and wanted to be involved in it right away and so we started sponsoring the let's talk bitcoin podcast back then in 2013 and then we're taking it as a payment method and then we've been mainly that was our involvement, and then lately we're starting to get more into you know finding the intersection point between decentralization and cryptocurrencies and what we do in the naming side of things
0: that's cool so mark um you guys got into it early uh was that something uh, obviously your business was in the space so, so it kind of makes uh, sense that you probably saw it earlier than most people was that Something that you guys led the charge on, or was it more from a customer coming and saying, hey, we'd like to pay you in this thing called Bitcoin, and and then you guys go and kind of go down the rabbit hole of what is that? Can we accept it?
1: How do we accept it? Um, It wasn't the customers, although once we hung out the shingle and started taking it as a payment, it was surprising how many of our customers were already into it. And so we would see the payments coming in from existing users and go, oh, that guy you know, we'd recognize some of the usernames. It's like, oh, that guy's into Bitcoin too, but we were primed for it because if you fast or rewind about a ten years earlier, there was a thing called digital gold currencies, and we were the only registrar that was taking digital gold currencies like eGold as a payment method, and that sort of brought some of those hard money based customers toward us. And so e-gold obviously failed. The digital gold currencies didn't really make it. But when Bitcoin came along and we saw that, it, we recog- it was pattern recognition. We recognized it instantly. Like, okay, maybe this is the next iteration and maybe this one's going to work. So.
0: so from that perspective, are you always kind of interested in in being an early adopter, even if the success rate is low? Is that kind of what drives you? to catch these things earlier or is it just just always having um an interest in technology working in technology and then just looking for ways to
1: to further broaden the business I think it came from being an independent business that didn't go the VC route so we always felt like we were competing with you know Wall Street competing with Silicon Valley Competing with companies that didn't have to turn a profit, what's your edge against companies like that that are well funded, can spend millions on advertising, and you're trying to run a business the old-fashioned way, um, you know, at a profit, and at the same time, you know, the policies and the the people in charge of things are destroying your currency, destroying the hollowing out the economy, and you're trying to you're trying to find a way to navigate all that. And so a hard money always appealed to us. So we never converted our e-gold into money. We would always just redeem it out. We had another customer who was a out exchanger in Quebec and we would just send our e-gold to them. They would send us, you know, Krugerrands, Maple Leafs, Eagles, whatever they had. And we still have them like in, in our vaults and safety deposit boxes today. So for us, we had a really sort of uh, unorthodox approach as a tech company that here we are putting gold on the balance sheet. And then <laughs> because I was convinced that the the, the, the central banks were going to blow up the economy and uh, we thought all of this, this this money creation and these bubbles were just going to pop and it was gonna, um, it was gonna wipe out a lot of these VC-funded companies, which we were wrong about. Well, we were half wrong about. But then when Bitcoin came along, we thought, okay, this is the same thing. This is a hard. This is a. This is a digital sound money, and so we did the same thing. It's like we're just gonna, we're just gonna hold this. We're gonna not sell it. And we also knew from our experience that. We were going to attract customers that we wouldn't already have, who are already in that economy. So it's a bit of a greenfield play as well. It's like we're going out. This is a this is uncharted territory, and we're here first, so we can we can cultivate the the relationships and the culture and that kind of thing to to get a head start on everybody else.
0: And for listeners' perspective, you guys are out of, based out of Canada. Yeah, um, so. Uh, obviously, currency and dealing in different currencies and whatnot with the close relativity to the United States is is probably more commonplace than, say, if you were just in the U.S. and kind of served your local market. I mean, it's pretty easy today for most companies to be global with the Internet, but um, you guys in Canada, it might have been just more common than than for people like us.
1: Yeah, in Canada, you think in U.S. Like if you've got a e-commerce business or a digital business, you're thinking in two currencies all the time. You're thinking about the direction between the Canadian loonie and the U.S. dollar, and um, you know we don't like it when we're we have a strong dollar. Nobody likes it when they have a strong currency. So um, it's it's uh, it's one of those things that you thought as an independent business person, like it was more than you bargained for when you started a business to say, well, now I got to deal in multiple currencies and I've got to look at these exchange rates all the time. And then you have Europe in the background because 10% of our customers are in Europe. And it's like, you know, there's all kinds of moving parts and plates. You got to keep spinning in the air when you're, when you're doing it from Canada.
0: So adding another currency really wasn't that big of a deal, especially one that in this case, thirteen years later
1: paid off pretty well. Yeah, 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 for sure. We just treat it as a foreign currency. Our accountants have a system for it and and because we we sold once, I think, maybe maybe once more before two thousand seventeen, but we sold in two thousand seventeen a good chunk of it. And our accountants just knew how they would account for it. They're saying, you know, mm-hmm. this is the revenues, this is the FX gain, this is how we're gonna, this is the tax bill. So,
0: and that's an interesting point because you know the narrative was for for a number of years, oh well, this cryptocurrency you can't tax it; it's not something that should be taxable. Which um, myself being in traditional markets, look, most people bought it because they expected the price to go up, so they may not classify it as a security, and now it's classified as property. But the reality is, people buy it. For the most part, as some form of an investment, so um I think it's always smart when you're doing stuff like that, as you guys did and your accountants did to just tr- go ahead and treat it right off the bat mm-hmm. as something that's going to pay some form of tax, so yeah, you know, your best efforts to keep your records to to know where you bought it, where you sold it, where you know, how it transferred and changed prices over that time,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. so we break right down to the individual transaction level, it's like. You know what was the sticker amount? Like what was the price, the units that we received? What was the exchange rate at the time? And then from there you can you can calculate everything. So,
0: and that was one of the more interesting things. We met at Bitcoin 2022 through uh, mutual friends, Lawrence Lapard, and and you know it was good to meet other people and get to meet people like yourself in person. But one of the more interesting things was to find out that um, you more or less haven't acquired Bitcoin through purchasing but you yeah. have an actual business that I know there's more and more today that that receive Bitcoin, but I'm sure early days, uh, as you mentioned, there were a lot of pitfalls or learning lessons uh, around receiving Bitcoin as payment rather than going out and purchasing it. Yeah.
1: I, 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 I've, I did purchase a little bit over the last year, like for the <laughs> first time, but before then it was just all earned through the business. And that was mm-hmm. still my preferred and recommended way to do it
0: and and probably i can imagine most of your business counterparts just you know uh, computer guys technical guys they're generally interested in how things work unique things that are a little more complex probably a lot of your customer base was on early i mean you kind of touched
1: on it but yeah yeah it, uh, like i said we were surprised when we hung out the shingle and uh, how many of the existing like of the payments that were coming in i'd say maybe a good of them were existing customers. And then you start getting the people coming in from outside saying, oh, I want to go here because they're, they're involved in the Bitcoin economy.
0: And we've talked offline a good bit, just as again, relates to the business and then we'll get over to the crypto capitalists after this. But, um, the naming, the domain names and uh, naming conventions that are coming out uh, in just the broader crypto ecosystem. Is that something you think is a good business opportunity? Do you see that broadening out and making wallet addresses or however it ends up playing out easier for the end user? Is that part of the customer experience that might get better?
1: Yeah, absolutely we've been waiting for naming to intersect with the, you know, cryptos for a while. And there's been early attempts in naming to sort of expand naming beyond what's called the legacy namespace, which is like overseen by ICANN. I don't know if you're familiar with them. It's like E-I-A-N-A, you know, root zone. And there were early attempts to expand beyond it, beyond it and they all failed because they all, you had to get a browser plugin and it was just kind of like, there's nobody there. You plug in, and there's nothing happening. What's the point? And why I think that's changed now, so that naming can actually get action in the decentralized space, is because everybody is there for another reason, right? Everybody's right. there for investment or building or whatever. So, but the, the the net result of that is you have all of these, and and I'm just going to use a catchphrase just to put a circle around it. But you have all these Web three enabled devices now right? Mm-hmm. You have phones, you have MetaMask, you have, and, and you look at the curve of, of Web3 enabled technology devices and it's it's exponential. And so if you just use that loose label to say a Web3 enabled device can see alternative namespaces like .eth, like .btc, like .zill, like uh, um, .crypto, like the handshake domains, all of those. So now there, there isn't this sort of chicken and egg problem that you have to put this plug in and then you're the only, there's tumbleweeds blowing through the space and there's no other activity out there. Now you're just joining this throng that's already there. There's already metaverses and, and web three and decentralized apps. It's all already there. And the naming is getting built around it and on top of it because people need it. To make sense of the uh, the addresses for one thing, and they want to be able to just reference things by human, you know, readable labels, and so that's a real um, tailwind to this new naming space. And so we've been involved in Ethereum Name Service since 2017, and we were, I think, still the only registrar that enabled the ENS integration. So you can take a dot it started with xyz so that's a legacy domain that's like one of the the new ones that came out in the 2014 expansion round you know dot website dot online all of those ones well dot xyz wanted to integrate to ens so you can tie a dot xyz domain to a to an ETH address, and we were the only people that facilitated that. And now you can do it for .com and .net and almost any domain. And we're about to roll out .eth registrations on Easy DNS, so you'll be able to come here and just register a .eth domain in your Easy DNS account. And there's other ones coming out. And I was on a different show, and we were talking about NFTs and how it intersects with naming. And I said, in my mind. Domain names are the original NFT, right? Because they're all the same thing; they're all just an entry in a root zone or a, or a top-level domain, but they're all different, right? All these domains are different; they're non-fungible, and so and
0: you, and you have all sorts of stuff stored on that domain: content, correct. text, voice, audio, whatever. it may All be. of it,
1: yep. yeah. And so, to me, I, I look at this, and I still haven't seen something that really ties it all together. Well, I sort of have, I think it's happening. It's coming together. Mm -hmm. Like your domain name is an NFT and it's not, you know, this pixelated JPEG. It's actually a data structure, correct? right? That's like an object. It's a data object that contains all of these different methods and endpoints for interacting with your organization or with you personally. I get really excited by that.
0: It is very exciting. And, it, and it's interesting if you think about the transgression, sorry to kind of step in there, but no, no, um, go ahead. How, how we got from your early days of easy DNS, where you're just kind of setting up domains, we don't even have registrars, you guys are being the registrar. And then ICANN comes in and kind of makes it easier or at least one central place where you can go. And then social media comes out and, and for lack of better terms, we'll just use Facebook as a singular one. And they became that place. It was using a domain to be that object that stored all your stuff, but they were the people that owns it. So we'll call them. We don't want to use the bad words like NFTs and stuff like that, but they were effectively that NFT on this domain that Facebook, and you had this sub account that's Kane or Mark or whoever. And and then you could store all this data that went back and forth and the things that you did. And now we have this decentralized web that's being built out. And so we just need to rebuild all that stuff. and makes sense you've done it once Mm -hmm. so you gotta you know add a few new tools or or spokes to your hub and then you can build all that out again but that object becomes owned at the individual level
1: right yeah by whoever has the private key Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: so now we as you guys being potentially that infrastructure piece that core piece that that stand and there'll be more people like yourselves and and your company but that core peg if you go down i mean what happens to the end user and that object i know they own it with the keys but do they have to go set that up on another provider or is that still in the works of how that would work out
1: because it's decentralized and it's on a block like all of these different protocols are on a blockchain you wouldn't really need us other than to do anything but maybe facilitate the initial, you know, the initial transactions. I mean, there's companies already doing this. I mean, let's just like call yeah. it for what it is. There's Unstoppable is doing mm-hmm. it. There's Impervious. There's Handshake. I mean, they're mm-hmm. already out there. They're already doing this. They're, fo- they're coming at it from the Decentral side. Mm -hmm. Like they're already there. They're doing it. There's a few registrars that are already supporting like registrations under .dot crypto and stuff like that. We haven't done that. We have yet. We have our reasons for it, but we're we see the value when we're talking to these companies. But we're coming at it from the legacy side, saying rather than create this new TLD, which is great, and we want top level domain we want to support those. But I, in the back of my mind, I have this question about when I can finally does do another expansion round, how are you going to handle collisions between something that's happened in the decentralized world and and some interloper from the legacy side saying, well, because we got the TLD application for dot NFT, we Trump unstoppable. Right. Right. On unstoppable though. Correct
0: me if I'm wrong here. I set up one and they won't let you do like the late nineties, early two thousands or, or early nineties thing where you just go, well, I know Coke's a big business. I'm making a bet that this oh, internet like- thing's going to work. I'm going to buy up, you know, Coke, Walmart, all those things. They won't let you, you have to
1: prove. Yeah. So most to, to their credit, to to most of the players I'm seeing out in decentralized world, they're thinking ahead as much as they can. And I've mm-hmm. and some of the conversations I've had with Brad at Unstoppable about how are you going to handle this name collision if it ever happens? I mean, he's aware and he's like, we'll, we will deal with it. Um, I don't want to speak for him. I just know that it's right, a blind yeah. spot for him. So even Ethereum name service and, and Unstoppable and these people, they're like, okay, we have to do this in a way that we have legitimate trademark claims from the from the world out there that we really don't want to get sucked into. So they might reserve like the top million Alexa list and say you can't register those. That's a common way to do it. What we're going to do we kind of end run all that because we're not looking to invent a new namespace, right? We're looking to say how are you going to extend all the existing namespaces out into these decentralized ecosystems, right? Mm -hmm. So that way, trademark stuff, that's already done. It's already graduated in because by the time someone owns a .com domain name, whatever trademark battle has, has to happen for that name to end up in that place, it's already occurred before it ever gets on our system with rare exceptions. So now we're going to look at how do you take that dot com name and use it? And so we're sort of coming at it from the other side. And then the other thing we want to do is we want to bridge the two. So we without getting too technical about the difference between a resolver and authoritative name server, where the latter, places like openDNS, like DNS are the the latter, the resolvers. We're working on a resolver that can resolve all the namespaces. Like you use our resolver then suddenly you're going to have visibility into .BTC. You're going to have visibility into Handshake. You're going to have visibility to all of these decentralized systems that are not in the ICANN root zone.
0: Let me ask you this question. Well, two questions. Number one, did you watch Silicon Valley? Sitcom? couple seasons, yeah. yeah. Is this not what they're trying to build in that the decentralized internet?
1: I don't know if that I made it that far into the show because when I was watching the show, they were working on a file compression thing, and I think I I stopped watching when at the end of the season, when the CEO just was informed that he was fired. And I wasn't—I didn't stop watching and protest or anything. I just right right. back to it.
0: No, it was funny. So if you go, if I recall, now I don't have as much background as you do, but that's that was what they moved to after he got hijacked with his file system. He was like, well, we'll I
1: never, I had no idea. We'll just
0: rebuild the internet. And they were calling it the decentralized internet, right? And everybody's like, (laughs) why would you want to do that? This doesn't make any sense. It's going to be too hard. But here we are now, five, six, seven years later, eight years later after the show, and we're running into what sounds like the creation of a decentralized internet.
1: But to what we were talking about, it needed that, Precursor, it needed that catalyst, and mm-hmm. Bitcoin and decentralized assets was were the catalyst, right? right?
0: And and the demise of kind of all the negative sides of social platforms that were sort of acting as that.
1: Yeah, there's more of a motivator now because you have this rampant cancel culture, and and right. I call it this Hobbesian cancel culture of mm-hmm. just everybody's trying to cancel everybody else.
0: So then the the second question I have is. Embedded in the traditional internet TCPIP IP is um, the payment protocol or payment required 402. Um, apparently, that just didn't work because there was no means of transferring value across the traditional internet, HTTP, HTTPS. Does this potential, so you were talking about we've got two different, the TLD top level domains over here for the .coms and the .ios and all the stuff that we know that can't do the 402. But now that we have Bitcoin as an asset, or Ethereum, or any of these other cryptocurrencies that you know transfer value, but you've got Bitcoin here, and then now you're working on basically a new internet with the with the naming. Does that allow? Does Bitcoin and other things like that allow that bridge for the new namespaces, the .coms, to use that 402?
1: I think it goes the other way. I think they. The the legacy space and the new naming all uses the stuff over on the decentralized side, like Lightning, right? But it
0: makes that allowed to be able to embed into websites.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you're gonna have you know micro payments will finally be a thing. You know, when I got back from Miami, I was so excited about Lightning. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was aware of Lightning beforehand, but you know, when I came back, it was it was really visceral. Of we have to be involved in Lightning. And, you know, I've been doing, I was just before we got on the, on the the show today, I was reading, you know, about lightning addresses some more and, and, you know, how the protocol is defined. So yeah, it's, it it comes, it's going to come from the decentralized side. It's going to, it's going to permeate everything.
0: Right. And so, um, you know, a lot of that for, for those uh, out there that maybe want to look at lightning, obviously you can Google it, but on telegram and, some of the other social you know, apps and, and platforms, there's uh, Pubnets on Telegram and they've got a wiki. And so there's a lot of uh, places like that, that you can go and learn about it. I, Mark, I definitely agree with you that um, Lightning is super interesting. The last year or so has really you know, caught fire. Um, it was kind of a new thing back in 2017, 18, but has made a lot of progress over the last four or five years.
1: Yeah. And I think one... One statement I heard in Miami that really stuck with me is someone said, you know, for all intents and purposes, this year, 2022 was like the first full year of lightning. Like everything was just like development until Mm -hmm. this point. Now we're live. I thought that's pretty interesting. I mean, I know the TVL is still pretty low when you compare it to some DeFi protocols and stuff, but um I think the trajectory is definitely in the right direction.
0: And it's still complicated. I mean, for the average user right now, they're not going to use it unless you can just kind of open a wallet, click a couple of buttons. It's kind of getting there. I remember there was a meme, I don't know, maybe 2019, that bear market where it showed a person at a retail store and they were like ready to make a purchase and they were sitting down on the floor effectively you know trying to route their payment to the <laughs> to the retailer uh we've come a long way since then i, I would agree with that statement you said that 2022 it, it's really it's kind of quote unquote first year because it's usable for the last yeah. four or five years it was only usable for the guys that spent the hours and the years figuring out how payment channels worked and routing and it's at the end still
1: the, not easy
0: yeah no it's still not easy yeah it, It really reminds me of the early days of the internet, just Mm -hmm. to how to, you know, if you put text up on your website, how's my browser know where to go and get it? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like the FTP days, you know, which was just cloud -cloud. pre-cloud. So, um, let's talk a little bit more on switch gears a little bit and talk about the crypto capitalist, uh, the blog and, and kind of what you're doing there and, um, You've got a newsletter it's it's really good you're you're focusing on equity publicly traded equities that you know hold or are involved in bitcoin and, and you're doing some valuation around there what What struck that up and and what are you kind of looking at there?
1: Yeah, so I was always thought of myself as a value investor, just something about value investing and contrarianism just always made sense to me but i I loved reading about or learning about either companies that had these like hidden value in them or or investors who were skilled at finding companies that had that hidden value in them. But I was never a professional investor or even really that involved in the stock market. Like most of my, you know, net worth was in the business kind of thing. and, And then, you know, had some retirement accounts and stuff like that. And then when the lockdowns hit, you know, it was a choice between Uh, it was really hit me hard about just how negative I was. I I was threatened with overwhelming negativity. (laughs) So, but I've got, I've got to do something to just pull myself out of this. And so I decided I was going to double down on learning the craft of investing. And I was just going to really dive into that. And I started, you know, listening to a lot of the value podcasts like The Value After Hours guys. I know they're not that crazy about crypto, but they're still I still love listening to that show. and um, and a few you know Grant Williams and guys like that. And I started, you know, doing a deep dive and I thought what I'll do is I will focus on microcaps and nanocaps because I just thought that's where I'd get the most alpha, that's where I'd get the most edge being completely you know, inexperienced and uncredentialed. And then I kept finding these nano cap, micro cap value plays in the same segment that kept, I kept finding these like Bitcoin mining companies and little micro conglomerates that were at this time, it was like mid 2020. So we had come out of the March, we had come out of the March bottom but Bitcoin was putting up like all time highs, and then you'd find these companies that were trading. They were like Ben Graham style net nets, uh-huh. like they're trading for below net asset value. When you looked at the Bitcoin they had on their balance sheet and their cash and no debt, and I'm like, this this is very asymmetrical. Like it's the the, the stocks are trading like their dog food, and the underlying crypto is going to all time highs. So I just thought that that was. That was a fat pitch, and I started buying up those companies. And you know they have names that a lot of people have heard now, like Hut and Bid Farms and Galaxy and Neptune and uh, Fortress, which is now Cathedral. And still, after this, you know, this wreckage we've been having for the past while, I actually think we've been in a crypto bear market since last April. I agree. Yeah. But these, some of these names are still up like 200%, 300% since mm-hmm. you know, when I first discovered them. And, and they're a little bit different
0: in that regard in that most of equities today, it, it's about a levered balance sheet. It's about yes. using credit to, to buy inventories and pre-sales and recurring revenue and all that stuff's great. But at the end of the day, the balance sheets are a little bit out of whack
1: and they're, they're highly levered. Um, and and, and that's- this is the reverse exactly well put. Like that's what I noticed going through this. It's like, this is, this is unlike anything I've seen as my armchair investor, um, you know, commentator spectator is that these are all balance sheet plays, right? Mm -hmm. The incomes largely unrealized because a lot of these guys are just mining Bitcoin and keeping it or making investments. Um, Some of them have active, um, Income in like their yield farming or staking, but they're still not selling those digital assets. So then maybe they're doing issuances. They're diluting you, but are they diluting? Are they diluting you faster than the asset appreciation is going up? Or they're taking on debt some, but they're not over-levering. So it really it, it's a different set of metrics to pay attention to, and you know, but, but, but I think it's, uh, I think these companies are going to be, I think they're going to be the leaders of the next asset sort of wave after whatever we're going through now shakes out.
0: And I agree with you. I mean, most of my life in public markets, I mean, you see that you see these trends coming in and you see these small cap, nano cap, like, you know, it usually starts out there's six or 12 names. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them go bust. Most of them get bought out. One or two of them survives in the form that they are. And they kind of, you know, gobble up, but, uh, all these new trends and, and you've been in that space for, for your entire career. So you, you understand that risk profile, what comes with it and what it looks like. So it makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I think most of, you know, software is finally going to eat banking and I think it will be through Bitcoin and these other networks in some way, shape or form. And so I I think we'll wake up much like, you know, the S and P was a non-tech index, but today it's all tech. There's barely anything in the S and P that doesn't have tech driving the business. Uh, so I think we'll see that with Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, I think an expression I once heard was like someday they won't call it, um, you know, cryptocurrency. They'll just call it tech.
0: Yeah. Right?
1: Yep. So it'll it won't be a subfield unto itself. It'll it'll be the field.
0: I agree with that. I mean, I think that's where the next iteration of the internet, with the internet that we know it is, but comes with those additional layers that we just hadn't gotten there yet. That's what yeah. this, this next boom after the bust and, and we're you know, easily in a bear market. But that's the best time for builders to build and get the, the price noise out of there. Because in my opinion, price is really the worst aspect of, of Bitcoin and, and crypto in general because it doesn't do anything. It's the, mm-hmm. it's the software and the tools and the stuff underneath that, that will drive the next wave of businesses so on that note where can uh, listeners you know find out more about you or or about the newsletter or or anything that you think they should be paying attention to
1: sure yeah well i mean the main business is easydns.com and uh the crypto capitalist is the cryptocapitalist.com and uh, i write you know um just blogging stuff that goes on zero hedge and stuff like that is usually out via bombfloor.com and then on twitter i'm stunt pope Don't ask me how I got that one. And uh, I'm getter. I'm bomb thrower.
0: Awesome. Well, Mark, I really appreciate you joining today and talking to us about your business plus your thoughts going forward.
1: Yeah, thanks, Kane. I've been enjoying your podcast, so happy to be on. Awesome. Thanks.